Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? We'll be the baby of the year. Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. It's good to be back. We're back on track with another episode tonight, and it is our final review before we're going to be taking a full deep dive into Oscar season. But before we do that, we'll do some introductions. I'm Jake Brand, as always. Alongside me, virtually, we have both Alex Powell and Ben Neeson. How are you guys tonight? Hey, guys. Uh, it's know. me. Cool, Alex. Cool. It's cool, Alex. Whoa, cool. Alex pretty cool. <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. Yeah. I like to do drugs. Not going to do not do drugs for our listeners of the Turbo Team podcast. That is a bit. Coming home this weekend, Ben? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Going to be riding down with my grandparents. And it's going to be a nice, nice old drive. Nice. Sounds so cool. Alex. <laughs> You coming back for your second dose? Uh, no, I am able to get it here in Terre Haute. I'll be getting that tomorrow. I'll be fully vaccinated by the time the listeners are hearing this episode. Well, uh, only, only, only three more vaccinations to go until your uh your plan is put in place. Well, congratulations. What? We are going to dive in. We're just going to ignore whatever Ben just said, and we're going to dive. <laughs> Straight into our review of The Father, but before that, we'd like to thank the presenting sponsor of the Turbo Team podcast, Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy has all of your DFS and esports gambling wants. Be sure to use promo code around at sign up and receive a deposit bonus of up to $50. Again, first time users, be sure to use promo code around at sign up and Thrive will match any deposit up to $50. We want to thank the presenting sponsor of the Turbo Team Podcast, Thrive Fantasy app. It's been a fun March Madness, hasn't it? There's been a lot of people probably losing money thanks to the Thrive Fantasy app or winning money. Either either endorsement works, but we're going to get into our review of The Father, which is a 2020 PG-13 film directed by Florian Zeller, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. That's about it. There's a... Yeah. There's a few other side pieces, but it's it's a small cast. It's a it's actually a bigger budgeted movie than I expected, just under twenty million dollars. But it's really just a dialogue between Hopkins and Coleman. But Ben, do you have your synopsis ready? I can't imagine it'll be too long. Uh no, this one's off the top and dome. Um, no, uh, Anne, a woman living in London, uh, cares for her father, Anthony, who is suffering from dementia and slowly loses grasp of reality and the relationships that he's growing more distant from because of it. Yeah, there's not really a, a huge plot to this movie, almost similar to something we watched last week. Most of it takes place in one or two settings for the most part really just the same house until uh, spoilers until the very end of the movie or the mm. same. What do they call it in Britain? Flats flats. That's what they call apartments. Yeah. That's so weird. Going to take you back to the flat. Yeah. 
Oi. Oi, bro. Oh, whoa, what? Alex, podcast is enemies oh. with the British. So, no, we're not. Harry Kane. Harry Kane, yeah. Harry Kane's uh, the exception. This movie is nominated for quite a bit of awards. Do you want to take us through what it's nominated uh, for? Yes. Anthony Hopkins is nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Um... Uh, hold on. I forgot the lady, the main lady's name. I can't find her name. Hold on. Oh, Olivia. Olivia, Olivia Coleman is nominated for best actress in a supporting role. It is nominated for best adapted pre- screenplay, production design, film editing, uh, and best picture. So, yeah, pretty critically acclaimed film so far. Uh, I got it. Got all the big nominations except for like sound editing or whatever cinematography. And I can exactly see why. And so this. I think this movie is really going to draw comparisons to a couple other ones we've watched on the podcast. I think one of the obvious comparisons it draws is Sound of Metal. Although different struggles, it's the same type of movie where it's so unique. And so I guess Anthony Hopkins is battling dementia in this film, which there's not really a ton of movies out there, especially the way that this one tackled the problem. Just like there's not really that many films that tackle the loss of hearing like Sound of Metal did. So I think come Oscar season, which is in the next couple weeks, there's going to be a lot of comparisons between those two movies. So I think that's something we can get into in a bit. And I think it's also just similar time thinking of ending things. I know Ben's probably going to hate that. But it's a dumb thing to say. I already sort of knew what to expect going into this movie, unlike I'm thinking of ending things, but if you went in blind to both of them, I think you'd be equally as confused. Alex, would you care to expand on that? I mean, it is it is like I'm thinking of ending things in a way, no matter what Ben thinks, because while and I'm thinking of ending thing, yeah, because in, I'm thinking of ending things, the main female character feels like she's going insane because... All these faces, all these faces are changing, or whatever, and that's the same thing for Anthony Hopkins in here, where like he doesn't recognize people. Like Anne changes like three different times. Paul changes. Like Paul isn't even like he doesn't even meet Paul, does he? He just Paul keeps you know, he just like keeps imagining he is and stuff. So it is like I'm thinking of ending things in a way. Obviously, this is more real, and I'm thinking of ending things very fictionalized and uh, like not realistic, but like it, they are similar in a way as far as. What the viewer is seeing on screen from the main character's point of view. Yeah, I I think that it was obviously similar in the way that it did it, but the 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 style of movie was completely different. And I thought that I mean, hot take: the father's better than I'm thinking of ending things. But just to get into my review, I think you just have a you just have it out for that movie. You just hate. I'm thinking you don't have movie. a reason to. You just do. Well, it's Jesse Plummins, but that's, that's actually a reason. That that <laughs> comment there wasn't fueled by my hatred. That was just saying that the father's clearly better. But I think this movie was I mean, I thought it was just so heartbreaking. I don't know what it was. It just hit me on a very emotional, deep level. I think that dementia has to be like one of the worst fears for everyone, whether it's watching someone go through it or you going through it yourself. I think that's just terrifying to even think about. And being able to see it adapted on the big screen like this with two very critically acclaimed and very well-respected actors and actresses. And they did an incredible job just kind of portraying what the struggle of dementia is like. Because I've never really experienced anyone close to me. I think my great-grandma had it, but 
she died when I was younger. But to be able to see it on the big screen really, I don't know, left an emotional impact. I thought it was so well done. That's just my very early thoughts. Big screen, your living room. Yeah. No, but I totally... Whoa, even bigger. But no, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head because that's a lot of what this film is. It's a very um, interesting perspective on a very... Um, disorienting and confusing disease and a tragedy of just life in general that comes with old age and that's dementia and the fact that they took it and flipped it on its head and gave it from the perspective of instead of someone who's caring for someone with dementia the person actually with dementia it gave a whole new perspective to how you may see people who have this um, disease or affliction it's a disease yeah yeah who uh, have this disease? Uh, you'll look. I don't. I, don't I think it is more of like it's more of like deteriorating mental state, which I don't. I said affliction. I don't. It's know. it's it's in like it's like the same thing as like schizophrenia. It's the same category, like mental it's disorder. Gray area. Yeah, there's a name for it. I just can't think of it. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting look at the that whole situation, and it's performed beautifully by Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and <laughs> uh, I think it was two Pauls. I don't know, but the supporting cast with uh, Laura and Catherine, who tries to comfort him at the end, it's very like heartbreaking. As like the further it goes on, so yeah, it's a very yeah. confusing movie in the moment. I was very confused until the very end. Uh, were you guys? No, I, I was. I've watched. I think it was whatever his name is, Carson Runquist's like top films of 2020. Mm-hmm. I just remember he went into it in there about how the characters were interchanging made for like an extremely unique experience. So I kind of knew that going in and I knew that it was dementia from his, from his point of view and not someone else's, okay. but that didn't make it really less confusing. I mean it, I kind of had more of a direction what was going on, but I still was like, I, I don't really know what's going on in this guy's life. Obviously, he's battling dementia, but it was uh, it was jumping all over the place. Yeah, I knew it was about a father tackling dementia, but I didn't realize it was going to be from like his point of view. So I was like watching this, and then the scene where like he's in with Paul, and then Anna comes in. I was like, that's not the lady that was Anna in the previous scene. I thought I was going insane watching this movie. And yeah, then- and that's, like that's the effect they want to give you. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it kind of uh, is parallel to I'm thinking of ending things and similarities. But then at the very end, it's revealed that, like, all these people are imagining, like, Anna was just his caretaker. Paul was, you know, uh, another caretaker there at the place. After, I yeah. think Laura was his daughter, Lucy, right? Like, he was actually he imagining just, he his just confu- He just confuses all of these people. Well, yeah, that's what dementia is. Like, he doesn't, like, his memories are foggy and misplaced, but. Yeah, I think it's done really well. Honestly, it might be even a negative hump for me, but I wish they dove even more into this because at times we see it from the other people's perspective. I would have watched a whole movie of just Anthony Thompson's perspective or Anthony Hopkins' perspective of this. Where, it was. Not entirely. Like, there's some parts. Like, what? Where, the, like, five-second, the, like, two-minute entry point of Olivia walking into the apartment and her walking away from the home? I mean, it was pretty much all from his perspective. I, I mean, what else do you want? 
I want it like into. I want it like we're just. Are you want a hardcore it. Henry first person view? Yes, I want like we're. <laughs> I want like we're living Henry uh, Anthony Thompson Tom, Hopkins lives. I don't. know. I think they could have done it a little, amped it up even more. Dimensions a fucked up thing, and it's a thing that really, really just the people that it inhabits it kills them slowly and in very a very painful, painless way. You know, and it's. I think showing that on screen is important for a lot of people, especially people who are dealing with people with dementia or have been around them. But anyway, I, yeah, I was just trying... more hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you say, but you were, you were confused by it and weren't exactly sure of everything, but you wanted it to go more in depth with that. Yes. Okay. Even though, yeah. All right. So because I, just because I'm like, if I'm confused, then how do you think Anthony Tompkins, Hopkins is feeling? Well, yeah, that is how he's feeling. That's because it's from his perspective. Yeah, but he's living it. I'm watching it. Like, you see what I'm saying? So, anyway, I just wish they did more. Really? Because it is from his perspective, anyways, in the first place. You, you never know what I'm saying. But anyway, well, I mean, more. yeah, but I just disagree oh. with what you're saying. So, I would just add, like, I don't really know how to break this down as a film just because it is one very unique and two it's almost like a play in a way because i know that it was from it was adapted i think from a book mm-hmm. from a play often what was it a play so yeah it's, very yeah, last week obviously the cinematography was uh just beautiful especially at the end of the movie as it did the slow pan from the retirement home to just the park. I thought that was really well done. But other than that, it was really just like 95% carried by an emotional story and outstanding performances along with solid dialogue. So that's where from like a film perspective, I don't really have too much to say about it, but I think the story was so well done at not, it didn't make that there was no like happy ending at all. Like, not a single part of that ending was like, okay, maybe there's a little hope. Like it was the ultimate just despair movie. And well, it was the infinity war of uh, uh, <laughs> silence of the lambs. No, but I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, you're reading into like the interesting way of how they weaved everything together by using the chicken as a touch point to realize, Oh, this is a repeating event. This is just repetition over and over and over again. Or when he walks out of a room and then they start to have a conversation and then the conversation gets to a point where they're repeating the conversation and he walks in again as if he was just there and he feels this repetition. He feels this um, pain of hearing that exact same thing over and over again. And it's them discussing his position and what they're able to do with him. And he's just disturbed and, um, shattered from it because he's reliving it over and over and over again and the fact that all of these elements weave together and come back around and it's very interesting to see how everything else just feeds back into each other and comes back up again and the fact that they lay out the entire um, apartment the whole flat because he makes a huge deal to make sure that um it's his flat this is his like world basically he's lived in there for 30 years this is his like entire world and then suddenly even that starts shifting. He doesn't know which room is rich or he doesn't even know exactly where he is. And at a point he confuses his own flat, which has been his for so long with another person's. And suddenly he's somewhere else living. 
So it's very in depth the way they go in about that. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but the Thunder are down thirty-five to nine in the first quarter. So, so we'll move that, on. Yeah, that's just insane. I think, yeah, as Ben said, a lot of the touching point, like the chicken, uh, like people's faces just completely changing. I thought one of the best scenes that they did it in, as Ben mentioned, was him confusing the flat for the other flat where he was walking around and where there was pictures and prior scenes, it was now just empty spaces. And I think that that imagery was really well done just to show. Cause I think I'm thinking of the shot where it was kind of an over the shoulder from Anthony's perspective, looking at a fireplace and there was kind of dried out paint, no painting there. And then it cut to Hopkins face and he was just like, heartbroken and confused but also like fine because he didn't really know what he was experiencing and I thought all of those shots where it just hand to Hopkins face was just gut-wrenching I it was very well done filmmaking and we haven't really even talked too much about Olivia Coleman's performance either I think she deserves every bit the same of praise as Hopkins for her role in this um, the my favorite scene of the movie is when it, it was towards the end when she was pretty much saying goodbye to him that he's she's going to Paris where they don't speak English and they were just kind of crying and then it just cut away and that was the last time we saw her. I thought her dialogue and her delivery in that scene was raw and pure and it felt like they were father daughter in that going through a very real experience and it was it was honestly um obviously sad to watch but i thought it was beautiful to watch at the same time Mm -hmm. in a way that you were involved in such like a personal moment in that way or at least what it came across as because it definitely feels like unfortunately something i haven't ever had to deal with and hopefully never will but that scene made you feel like you were dealing with it in the moment which if you're a filmmaker. That's what you want to hear. So Florian Zeller did an incredible job. Yeah. And he was like just so lost in the repetition and the redundancy of his life at this point. And he's in the middle of the meddling between the two people who have to take care of him in a sense. And yeah. And also like the thing we were talking about um, um, with the picture, uh, it also is sort of related with his hiding places that he has for special items, but then forgets. So then he's losing even that element of, uh, um, personal of personality of security, even within his own mind of within his own possessions, something that only he can have. And he's losing track of even that. And just little elements like that throughout the entire film, all weave together very well and make it very structurally sound and heartbreaking. If I ever get dementia, man, it's fucking killing me. Yeah, just, Thank you. Just terrible. Thank uh, you, uh, thirty-one to nine. I think I think the scene where it's a short scene, it's only a couple seconds, but where Anne is imagining choking her father out in his sleep, I think that's a scene that's actually more one of the more important scenes in the movie because I think it really shows how difficult it is for these people taking care, especially family members taking care of their loved ones with dementia, how as much as it affects 
the people with it. It also affects the ones around them and their caregivers because, like, it's like imagining having to answer the same question over and over and over again, day in and day out. You know, like, where's my watch? Oh, well, Dad, where'd you put it? I don't know because he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know where the hiding place is. He doesn't know who has his watch. He doesn't know who these people are. Like, imagine having to care for that and explain the same thing over and over and over again to the same person, and they, they just can't get it. It drives yourself mad as well as the other person. And uh, 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 talking as a person that's lost both their grandparents, um, I, I remember when my when my grandpa was in hospice and seeing my mom, uh, you know, having to take care of him and talking to her about it. Like it is like you want you just want them out of this hellhole that they're living in, you know, and um, I think that's a very, very real scene that not obviously the choking out your own parent and put them out of their misery is a very, very dark thing. But like, it's something that I feel caregiver family members that take care of these loved ones like that. Like not that it crosses its mind, but it, their mind, but it's something that like, you know, I just wish, you know, they'd go just because, you know, I don't want them living like this. This isn't who they are. You know, this isn't the person I grew up idolizing, you know, this is a different person. And it's, it's like, what's, what's the saying? It's like a, a life is best. Like, lived but how are you supposed to live your life if you're not remembering your life the way it is stuff like that so I, th- I think that scene is very very powerful in that way where showing how Anne knows like it's a bad thing but to think oh I want my parent to die but like it's like it, it, she just wants the best for them at the end of the day and that might even mean them you know not being with us anymore so. Ben what were some other areas that you loved about this Oh, oh, oh boy. Um, I think the element of Paul or both Pauls and well, there's one Paul, but he's played by multiple people um, was interesting in a fact that he was sort of like this antagonist. Uh, I mean, obviously, in the fact that he assaults Anthony at the end of the film, but up to that point, in a sense, he's just like trying to like nudge um, and to sort of like put him in a home so they can like have a life because he's very clearly unempathetic but at the same time he's like feeling burdened down by having to constantly care for someone or having um his wife be like stressed about this the entire time i mean it's obviously not a good character but like it's a realistic antagonist in a sense that yeah that's exactly what i thought and i don't know if this was zeller's direction but to me, it didn't seem like Coleman caught on to the dementia part until the end of the film. I think she definitely knew that there was something up in that he was sick and not well. But gosh, I'm trying to think of what there was one line where you could just tell in her facial expression. She was like, oh, my gosh, he has dementia. He can't remember who I am. Oh, it was when first uh, coming home. No, it was the caregiver, like pretty much the last time that they were in the make-believe flat when it was the more middle-aged woman who came in. Her name was, um, looking on the cast, I got it. Olivia Williams is Catherine, uh, even though that part's not as important. I think to me, it seemed like that's the moment where she just knew, okay, he has dementia, but that's also from Hopkins perspective. So you really don't know like when in the story she actually found out, 
So Paul's character, as Ben said, was very realistic to the point where he was very clearly frustrated and he showed it on his facial expressions and definitely didn't make the situation worse. But it's also one of those things where uh, if you were in his shoes, we might do the same thing or might react the same way. So it was a very real performance from pretty much every character in the film. There wasn't anything that was outlandish, I don't think, in any way, shape, or form. No, there wasn't. Which I think, I mean, obviously it's a little easier to do that with a smaller cast, but you you can probably count the number of films on one hand that don't really have any characters that are unrealistic or outlandish. So that's another area where you can just give credit to this film. Uh, Yeah, it's very unique in that sense and many others for sure. Were there any negatives that you guys had? I, I guess I can start uh, negative. I think just the fact that it was so heartbreaking was a negative what? for me. Like, <laughs> as far as rewatchability, I don't know if I'd want to rewatch this just because it's so... I don't know. It's so hard to watch and it's so sad. And that's obviously not a knock. It, yeah, I know. It's not a knock on the film in any way. Like, this film is supposed to be as heartbreaking as possible. But for me, that made it harder to watch and it made it I guess harder to keep watching, even though it was so good. Um, but yeah, other than that, I I don't really think that I have any negatives because everything that you might think of as a negative plays into why it makes it such a good film, which is why it's such a. I mean, that, that's why it's nominated for so many awards and why it is probably going to win a few, and why Hopkins might win Best Male Lead. Yeah, yeah I think. I think Hopkins for best male lead is definitely very deserving. Um, I think it's she's probably right behind Chadwick for my rankings for this year. You know, behind Riz Ahmed and Chadwick's Power rankings at third. I might have even liked him better in this Hopkins better in this than I did Chadwick in my rankings. Um, I think but it's-, it's close. Anthony Hopkins is really that scene at the end where he breaks down crying like that's. That when he like he's calling for his mom, like that's that's an impactful scene and that's really well done. Anthony Hopkins in this old movie does a really really good job of just portraying an old man, which he is. But like, like there's one scene where he gave a little laugh, and I was like, that's exactly a laugh that like old men give you all the time whenever you talk to him, you know. <laughs> and like you don't, it's not something you think of, but when you Creamy. see it, you're like, I, every old man I have ever talked to has given me that laugh. And it's hard to explain unless you see it, but like he, he is an old, he's 83 years old. He is an old man, but I think he portrays one so accurately in this movie. It's, it, Whoa. it's really impressive to watch. Whoa. Uh, he's such a, he's such a something actor that he grew to the age of 80 years old just for this role. Yeah. Uh, That's another um, level of method acting. Method. Method. Method actor. Yeah. Top two method actors, Anthony Hopkins and Jared Leto. Um, did you, did you ever see that tweet where it's like Jared Leto be actually murdering people just for a movie to get 20% on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, Anthony Tompkins was really, really good in this movie. As far as negatives, I have, I just think the movie's kind of, it sounds bad. I think the movie's kind of boring in a way. I don't think it takes away That's from it. I had to say. But it's like, like you look at Ma Rainey's, like, 
there's scenes where everything's amped and it catches your attention. I don't, this is one movie where unless you're like deeply paying attention the whole time, it nothing really happens except for the scene where Paul's slapping Anthony Hopkins and then at the end when he's crying, like nothing really catches your eye, make and forces you to watch the movie because you can't look away. So in that yeah. way, I think it's a bit boring. Um, but I still and, think and, it's a good movie. I just think it's a bit boring. In that sense, we will be reviewing Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League cut no, um, watch next week. Four hour um, superhero movie. Um, yeah, but there's a lot happening in that. That's that's exciting uh, for four hours. There's a difference. This is good, boring. That's bad, <laughs> boring. Uh, is this our conclusions? Is that what we're doing right now? You're we're negative. Negatives, but I, I think it can kind of be a little bit of a conclusion. Just throw it out there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, totally. Uh, I think it's great. It's definitely a really engaging and interesting character study to watch the characters, the room, the setting, the mood, everything just spin and rotate. Um, sometimes weaving into each other, sometimes often to loose ends. But I think that it's all very engaging. And honestly, um, like you said, Jake, our rewatchability. Not necessarily because it makes me too sad that I never want to watch it again, but more just the fact that I very much enjoyed my focused uh, watch of this movie, and I got a lot out of it and really enjoy it and don't really feel recently the need to watch it again. It's not necessarily because it's too sad or because it was bad or anything. It's just because I really enjoyed it and got a lot from it anyways. There's a a lot of movies like this where, like, we we watch some, like, uh... Not no man. I don't know. But this Not is one of those movies where, like, if you're going through something like this, I don't recommend you watch. It's like, so when I first saw Marley and Me, I was <laughs> six years old, and it was two weeks after my dog died, and I cried for an hour afterwards. <laughs> so I shouldn't have watched Marley and Me. So this is a movie where, if you're going through a situation like this, do not watch this movie because it will destroy you in a very, very bad way. Um. But I watched uh, I Mouse on the Motorcycle when I was four. Okay. What did you say? Nothing. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I guess that's my closing argument. Do you guys, okay. have, a favorite, do you guys have a favorite scene? I kind of touched on mine. I, I already talked about mine. Ben? You were like the, the Peter Griffin running meme. Stop. Don't watch The Father if you're... <laughs> what? I bring a lot to this podcast. I don't watch um, no. Yeah. Okay, so we're going around for rankings then. I, I've got one last thing to add. It's uh, it's the same coin, but two very different sides. The father is a lot like the Eric Andre show, just with very different emotions. No, just leave it at that. Leave it at that. Don't go. Don't go in depth. That's the end of this discussion. <laughs> this, the father in the if a Venn diagram of the father and bad trip, it'd just be a circle. Okay. Uh, yep. yes. I'll, uh, I'll give this film an 8.75. I thought it was magnificently well done. It was, I mean, one of the best performances in Hollywood, uh, <laughs> obviously, ever. Hopkins is either going to get first or second, I would imagine. Ever. was just as good. Ever. I mean, every everyone who gets, like, towards the top and the best male lead is going to have one of the best performances of all time in Hollywood. That's just kind of how What? I think I think it's really good casting up new best performances ever. Not I think five. it's one of, it's just like always going to be remembered as 
I didn't say five. I just said one of the best. Okay, uh, who won uh, uh, best lead actor two years ago? Green Book. Jokes on you. Okay, so I said best opinion, lead actor. The whole movie won. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it was it was best of all time. I think it's okay, really good go. casting on part of the directors and casting directors part. Uh, I, I talked about this with the the little things in Denzel Washington when these like all like all time actors get to this age like it's hard to cast them because like they're not the badass like like anthony hopkins isn't hannibal lecter anymore you can't cast him because like he's not that he's too old you know he's not he's not in the right age range kind of like in the little things where denzel washington's too old to be playing a badass cop but this is like the perfect role for anthony hopkins for the age he's in because he's able to show how good of an actor he is but also fit into this mold where he is at his career due to how old he is and how long he's been doing it yeah he fit he cut so i think it's a good i think it was really good casting i'll get i'll go at an 8.5 i'll go a little lower than jake Whoa. jake seems to think this is one of the greatest movies of all time so I'm apparently i'm just fucking with you but uh yeah it's good like i said it's a little boring um, definitely something you like actively need to try and pay attention to. But for the most part, I, I thought it was re- really, really well done. The acting's incredible. I think the small cast really works for it too. Um, just because it, from Anthony, Hopkins, like, Anthony Hopkins doesn't leave his house, you know, he barely does. So we're just seeing the same people he does in a way. So I, I think it's really well done. 8.5. Okie dokie. Um, I'm kind of a stickler with my ratings. Uh, I really love the film. I thought it was great. Um, there's not a whole lot of rewatchability though, but that's because I enjoyed it so much and um, really just don't see a need to watch it again. There's no real necessarily specific reason for that besides the fact that I enjoyed it and got a whole lot out of it and that's it. But yeah, um, for that and the fantastic performances and very engaging story and screenplay, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Which well, is the most ever lost in the coin toss. That is going to do it. For our review of The Father. And now we are going to do what we watched in the month of March. It is April 2nd here on the Turbo Team Podcast at Turbo Team Headquarters. <laughs> I can in, What were you going to say, Alex? Turbo Team Headquarters here in beautiful Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> we got six members of Congress here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it goes. All right. This uh, this month was a lot of film and TV watching for me. I watched everything that we watched on the podcast, the last ten minutes of the Snyder Cut, and Why did that the last ten minutes. because uh, people were watching it, and I walked in the room, and then I watched it, and it was really bad. And I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna watch this. You're Jake. You took the you took Lint off Twitter, but there's a lot of tweets where like people were like, "Look how the difference," and then people just quote tweet and get like two hundred thousand likes. And it's like I don't see any difference. Like there's one where it's like, "Which one's the before and which one's the after?" And it's it's very true. I didn't like it, the shots just looked more zoomed out. Like that that was about and like differently colored. So anyway, go well, ahead. What are we talking about? A uh, blue uh, dress and gold dress. Snyder the, cut. The only movie that I watched this month, Ben, was the last ten minutes of the Snyder Cut. Other than what oh. we- <laughs> that's all you've watched. <laughs> yeah, I've been so busy. Uh, the Kira and I watched the last act because I read that it was different and thought it was all right. I guess. Yeah, I'm not gonna watch a four-hour DC film. 
with Why Ezra not? Miller as the Flash and Ben Affleck as Batman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, we were, we were clowning Ezra Miller because he's so, like he's all right, but he's he's so corny, dude. He's so corny. Uh, like one of the one of one of the main characters' fathers like just was disintegrated right in front of him, and like ten seconds later, he's like, "Dude, are you all right?" He was like, "My father, he's dead." <laughs> and then the Flash is just like, "Oh my god." <laughs> I like Ezra Miller. He's really good in the Stanford Prison Experiment movie, but like, I just see the dude from Perks of Being a Wallflower now. You know, the, <laughs> the guy that has every every corny line in that movie is Ezra Miller. So. No, dude, it's just so funny because his dad was disintegrated, and he's just like, "Oh my god, oh my god." <laughs> yeah, I, I watched that, and then actually, I finished WandaVision, and then I watched another show. I can't remember what it was. Winter Soldier and Hawkeye and Falcon. No, yeah. I refuse to watch that. Anthony Mackie and Winter Soldier, man. Hawkeye and pending lawsuits. Scarlett Johansson fanboys fight supervillains. I'm sure it'll come. Scarlett Johansson's yeah. law. <laughs> did you? You did you see that video where it's like that's Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> yeah. Jake, okay. you're not. You weren't on the internet this weekend, but uh, Sebastian Stan <laughs> and. Uh, Anthony Mackie were like doing some interview with some British newspaper and they were having him guess like the cast of the Avengers based off like their butts. And uh, they showed Scarlett Johansson and right away, Anthony Mackie's like, that's Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anthony Mackie, friend of the program. Yeah. Friend of the program. Oh, also this is the second Anthony Hopkins movie we've watched. So he's riding up the leaderboard. There's no leaderboard. We're yeah, what other movies is he in besides the Thors? All of the, all of the Red Dragon sequels. We're we gonna watch those. No, I'm not. Point proven. <laughs> okay, what did you watch this week, Alex? Uh, actually, Just this I, week. Not the I watched month. a bit. I watched a good chunk of stuff, and I watched a lot of good stuff. Um, obviously, Whoa. everything you watch for the podcast. I watched Paul Blart Mall Cop Two, The Little Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me that was a bit. <laughs> no, it was. It was. I watched so. I don't know the order of this stuff I watched, but I watched Blade Runner 2049, and I paid attention this time. It was incredible. I have a poster coming to hang up on my wall. It'll be here at the end of the month. Really? Just for 2049? I So the 2049. The you bought the pretty, poster. Oh, I think the poster is cool anyway, but the story is really good. The thing that gets that movie for me is the it might be visually the best movie of all time. The cinematography is incredible. It, it's... it's I can't even explain it. You just have to watch the movie. I'm in awe every time I see it. It's just so good. Every shot is a masterpiece. It's every every two times you've seen it, one and a half because you weren't paying attention. Well, I see clips on Twitter and TikTok and you stuff you more. <laughs> uh, I also watched my favorite comedy of all time, Superbad. Also have a poster coming. Uh, and then <laughs> the third movie I watched, I also have a poster coming. It'll be shut up. I hate I hate you. La La Land. I watched La La Land again. <laughs> Great movie. I think it's the probably the it's not my favorite movie of all time, but I think it's probably the best movie of all time. It's a very, very flawless film. It's <laughs> the best, goodest movie that it's there incredible. Was. The soundtrack's incredible. We have a whole episode on it. Check it out. Probably a top two episode. Uh what's one? Barry? Yeah, shut up. Don't listen to the Barry episode. Um <laughs> we should redo that by the way. Just throwing that out to do real quick. Uh I also watched Crazy Stupid Love. Pretty good. I think we talked about. Oh wait, I actually did watch Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay, Jake. That was the one movie I had in my notes. Wow. Wow. How was it? It was. It's funny. I thought it was really funny. 
Yeah, yeah that nope, movement nope. and then 10 minutes of the Snyder Cut. More unique response than that. Back to uh, you. I watched a few episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I watched The Graduate for the first time. I started it, got bored in the first five minutes, and didn't come back. I watched it this time. That doesn't count watching it. <laughs> no, I watched it this time. I oh, said you did in the first time. In the That's first what you did. time. Five minutes, didn't watch it. I uh, came back and watched it. Um, it, it's it's pretty good. The, the soundtrack <laughs> obviously is iconic. Like Simon and Garfunkel were made from the soundtrack, so um, okay. it was pretty good. Dustin Hoffman, I thought, was supposed to be on the spectrum at first, and it turns out he was just a nerdy virgin. So uh, that was funny to watch and awkward for me at the same time. Um, I watched an ungodly amount of Impractical Jokers for some reason. That's oh my dude, get a get a job. You Impractical Jokers is funny, but I just watched. You you also say Modern Family is funny. Uh, when did I say, say that? Play it. Play you it say that. You can't that constantly. Clip, ben. You, you watch one. Modern Family I've never constantly. Said that. Anyway, you still I watch the Goldbergs as a nineteen-year-old. No, I, I don't have cable. How much? You, <laughs> you did watch the Goldbergs up until when you I were was nineteen years old in high school. <laughs> Um, the, the Impractical Jokers is funny. I didn't watch too much of it. Like I watched probably any of it is too much of I it. I probably watched four seasons. It of being Impractical on the TV Jokers. at the gym is too it's much of I it. I kept turning it on and I kept watching it because I kept laughing and I couldn't turn it off. <laughs> so I watched way too much. You watched it, watch, man. Who was watching Are you a review on uh, Amazon? <laughs> it's funny. You're just I ordered the box set of Impractical Jokers. Yeah, I couldn't I'm not I watch the box set because, because I was laughing the entire time. Oh my god! A true TV this comedy is so impractically no joking. I watch real comedy on Adult Swim, like Rick and Morty and South Park. You've seen Community? It's got Donald Glover in it. It's so good. <laughs> You ever seen Community? That's fucking dude. That's me. Amazing. That's 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 such a good I'm me right now. Mainstream. I don't like mainstream. You're 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 Josh. And I watch Prisoners, bitch. Thoughts on Prisoners? Getting abducted. What are you gonna say about that? Huh? <laughs> Paul yeah. Dano. <laughs> I'm Paul Dano. The greatest showman <laughs> and Alex Jones is for Paul Dano is Alex Jones. <laughs> The most iconic movie, the Paul Dano Cinematic Universe. Yes, that's the entire title of that. So that's your list? I don't know, is it? That was a genuine question. Yes. Okay, cool. Okie dokie. Oh, um, yeah, what I watched this month, uh, I watched uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, oh, Tim, yeah. Tim Allen kills it. Boy, He's also good out. in the role, too. Um, Russian Doll, that's a pretty good show. Uh, I like that. There's a very there's a whole lot of like Groundhog Day esque remakes going on ever since that movie. Don't care. Like a lot recently. Like there's a freaking like one on Apple TV like that's an action movie right now. Oh, there's Russian Doll. There's Palm Springs and like I'm sure more that have all come out in like the past three years. Um, I watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That was cool. Um, they was all practical, no wire work whatsoever. And yeah, I thought that was very impressive. It was a cool story. I need to watch more films like that. I got Hero up on deck next for something similar. Um, I also watched a ton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, my roommate's been going through, um, starting from the beginning, watching all the seasons. And it's just a blast, man. We love doing our Charlie Day impressions where he just talks like this the entire time. Um, that's just what we do now. It's great. Uh, I'm starting working through X-Files. Oh, that's a joke. I finished, uh, yeah, because uh, it's not an impractical joke, but it, I thought it was okay. 
um but started watching x-files um it's the second on deck for iconic 90s tv shows after i finished twin peaks but i'm really enjoying it um i don't know if i'm going to be able to finish it all anytime soon because there's a lot but i really enjoyed the eight or so episodes that i watched um i watched before sunrise it's one of it's the first of david linkletter's sunrise trilogy i think's the name of it anyways there's a whole cult following behind it and it's just two um um it's a couple it's not even a couple it's just a man and a woman having a conversation walking around the town and that's what happens for all three movies and the first of them was pretty good interesting if you're a fan of the walk and talk oh boy does it have that Uh, i watched straight out of compton um a big fan by uh nathan maglions for some reason (laughs) and yeah uh great film picked up on a whole lot of other stuff when i had to watch it in depth for class and you pick up on things when you have to write a whole paper about it but yeah it's great good foreshadowing interesting story paul giamatti is playing himself the entire time it's interesting (laughs) uh okay i got a story that goes along with that after this um uh i watched labyrinth the david bowie movie from like the 80s or 90s (laughs) uh it was cheesy as heck uh jim henson uh killed it um but it was in the middle of the spectrum between dark crystal and muppets for if you just google image both of those and you can tell what i mean by that just total cheesy kids movie great and then king kong versus godzilla because why not it's stupid and it's fun but uh this is actually a really funny story that kind of happened in uh one of my classes uh for my class when we were uh talking about straight out of compton um our teacher was like asking um everyone what they thought of the film and like what themes they took away from it and a girl in my class like when she was asked like what themes and what her takeaway was from the film she was like i really liked how uh the three main rappers were all from the king kong cinematic universe um two, two of them were from a uh, king um uh, um uh, J, um no Dr. Dre Dr. Dre and Easy E were in 2000 uh King Kong Skull Island from 2014 <laughs> and my professor's like what they're the rappers were in the movie and she was like no that the they were the, the actors who played it were in the movie and then he was like well um well isn't like Godzilla and like King Kong supposed to be like uh, parallels to like Asian and like African cultures, and she was like, "Yeah, Godzilla was first come out in 2014, and then after that, it was Kong Skull Island, and then it was King Kong, uh, King of the Monsters, and then uh, just now it came out King Kong versus Godzilla, which is really good, and everyone here should watch." <laughs> Reading up <off> Wikipedia, <laughs> dude, she was like naming everything. <laughs> And then, like, my teacher was, like, somewhat trying to relate it back to, like, straight out of Compton and, like, like uh, African-American, like, struggles, like, within film. He was like, yeah, but, like, I think that, like, Kong was, like, sort of, like, supposed to be, like, a whole deal about, like, um, African fear and things like that. And she was like, uh, no, but uh, Godzilla, he's uh, less lizard-like in this movie. He's more, like, bear-like in his attacks and the way that he moves. <laughs> you're gonna say more Barry like and then my mom from Barry Block to Barry Palming the Dip and I couldn't really find it in between (laughs) 
I'm glad you just said bear. <laughs> but no, it was so funny because we were supposed to be talking about Straight Outta Compton. And then like 30 seconds later, the student's talking about how Godzilla fights more like a bear than a lizard in the latest <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla film. But, but I thought he felt like a lizard. Exactly. I don't know. I, I I can't explain. I was just I was dying because it was super serious conversations about racial injustice, and then just that sounds sounds like a movie. And speaking of movies, this is the Turbo Team podcast. That was that wasn't necessary. Monkey. Well, I think we're gonna wrap. This week up on the Turbo Team podcast, we will be, be we will be back next week, I believe, with our Oscar preview. If I'm not mistaken, it's gonna uh, be- we got a couple weeks. We don't have to do it's it. Our, it's our Snyder Cut uh, super special. We're oh, narrating yeah. the whole thing. We're gonna watch We're gonna the Turbo Team cut. Yeah, I have That's a fun cool. bit for that. If you actually want to review, a, not the Snyder Cut, but a superhero movie. Okay, actually, well, no. Well, I take that back. We're going to send things off and we will talk about that off air so we don't give our fans too much. They don't they deserve a lot, but they don't deserve all the ins and outs of the Turbo Team podcast. But Oh yeah, real G's moving silent like lasagna, man. For Jake Brand and Alex Powell and uh Ben Neeson, we want to wish you a happy Easter weekend and uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.